0: Amen. Light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, God, and we thank you again for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. And Lord, I thank you for each one that's gathered here. Lord, I just pray that you would bless them for being here this morning. And God, I pray especially for the ones that are, are not able to be here, whether it be through sickness or, or just physical inability. Lord, you know each need. And God, we know that, that through your word that you teach us that the same Holy Spirit that's dwelling with us in this service this morning is with those that would love to be here and those that are not able. God, I just pray that you will bless them. Lord, as we dive into your word and we take a closer look at the greatest sermon that was ever preached, God, I just pray that you would open, open our eyes and open our ears and our hearts to receive and to hear and to see what your word would say. And God, we love you and we praise you because you're the only one worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Just a quick review, a few people weren't here last week, and, and I'll tell you what's going on. Uh, I, uh, the Lord pressed it upon my heart a couple of weeks ago to preach the entire Sermon on the Mount. And now if you know anything about your Bible or, or you're a Bible student at all, you'll know that the Sermon on the Mount begins in Matthew chapter 5 and it ends in Matthew chapter 7. And that would be an absolute impossibility to preach it in one sermon. Wouldn't you agree with that? In fact, if I heard a preacher say that he was going to preach the entire Sermon on the Mount in, in, one, in one sermon, I'd probably get up and leave because we'd be there a few days. Amen? And so I, I'm going to try to break it up as best I can into several weeks. Probably going to try to get it in, in in eight weeks if I can. So just bear with me. But this is some of the richest content that the Bible has to offer. Now the Bible says that all Scripture is profitable. Amen. I mean, you, you may read through the book of Ezekiel and not see a lot of stuff profitable, but it is. But I believe that Matthew chapter number 5 and 6 and 7 is, is some of the most profitable Scripture that you can read. It comes from the very mouth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to just give you the setting one more time, and I'm not going to read back through the Beatitudes, but I want to read Matthew chapter 5, verse number 1, and again, just remind you of the setting and remind you of the context of this scripture. Jesus has been healing people at the end of chapter 4, and chapter 5, verse 1 says this, "...and seeing the multitudes, He went up into a mountain, and when He was set, His, his disciples came unto him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying and so we talked about last week that this could be that Jesus was not necessarily talking to the multitude but rather he was talking to his disciples as a group but just as the 12 and I I tend to believe this statement and, and the quote that I read last week and I'm going to read it again says the sermon on the mount was spoken into the ear of the church and overheard by the world. So if you are a believer this morning and you, you have been saved by the grace of God, then guess who this scripture uh, uh, mostly applies to? It applies to you this morning. And, and so did the Beatitudes we found out last week and, and all their, their wonderful advice that they give. But we get to Matthew chapter 5, verse number 13. Now, I would have loved to hear Jesus preach this sermon because it sounds to me like Jesus just would bounce back and forth between the subjects. You you see that when you read the Sermon on the Mount. It's just bam, bam, bam. He's just making some quick points, and then he moves on. And he says these words. He tells us that we are one of two things, or that we are two things together. He says, first, that ye are the salt of the earth. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? You, you've heard, uh, I've heard the saying a lot of times, and at least uh, uh, being, being from the country, I guess, you hear somebody say, well, that person, they're, they're the salt of the earth. You ever heard anybody say that about somebody? They're the salt of the earth kind of person. But as, as a child, as a younger guy, even a teenager, I kind of scratched my head and I thought, what in the world does it mean to be the salt of the earth? And I'll tell you that my mind would automatically wander back to, back to Lot's wife. I thought, surely that woman was the salt of the earth, right? I mean, she really was. Y'all didn't get that, did you? She was salt. She got turned into salt. Come on now, people. But that's not what Jesus is referring to here. And I began to think about this. And how many of you like salt? Do you like to put salt on stuff? This morning, I, was, I, had, uh, I had already eaten breakfast, and I opened my desk drawer to get an ink pen out, and the first thing that I saw was a, a salt shaker. Now, if, as much as we like salt, our doctors don't like salt, right? I mean, when you go to the doctor and you start having blood pressure problems and heart problems, the first thing that the doctor says you need to cut out is salt. Just cut it out. But as I grew up, I, I learned that you pretty much put salt on everything. You put salt on green beans, you put salt on potatoes. I mean, we were so redneck that we put salt on a watermelon. Anybody ever had that? I mean, that's pretty country, isn't it? But I tell you what, it sure makes a watermelon taste better, amen? And so I grew up putting salt on everything. And so to me, all that salt did, all that salt was to me was really, it was just a a flavor enhancer, if you will. It was just something that, that if something was a little bland, now now don't get me wrong, I would have never told my grandmother or my mother that, that something that she cooked was bland because that's a good way to get backhanded, okay? But if it was, if you, if you took a bite and it wasn't just you know, what she normally cook, you could generally grab the salt shaker, shake a little on there, stir it up, and it would be tolerable. Salt tends to make most things that you put it on better, but when Jesus referred to this, when he said this to his disciples, they knew that salt had a much bigger purpose than just a flavor enhancer. They knew that it was something that you didn't just add to food to give it flavor, that salt did more things than that. And I believe that the implication and, and what Jesus is really saying here about salt has, has more to do with the flavor then it does has, has less to do with flavor than it does anything else. Let's read this, but if the salt have, have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Now we don't do this a lot today, but salt in, in this time, in the Bible times, you have to imagine this, that salt was, was not the easiest thing to get a hold of. I mean, now salt is just mined out, but they would, they would get salt, and the salt that they generally had in the Middle East at this time was actually collected on a beach. Now, could you imagine your job is to go out to the beach and collect salt? be a good job, wouldn't it? I, boy, that'd be a hard job to have. You go out there and you collect salt, you bring it back to a storehouse, and you put it in this storehouse. And salt had many uses, but one of the main uses that salt had during this time is it was a preservative. Now, everybody knows these days, how do we preserve food? I mean, it's simple. You open up the refrigerator and you put it in there, right? It's as simple as that. Or you open the freezer and you put it in the freezer and we can preserve food for months and weeks and months and sometimes maybe even years depending on how brave you are about eating something that's been in there a while. And so now, we don't really use salt as a preservative like they did in the the Bible times. But salt does something amazing. See, the thing about it, and I, I don't know how it works. I wish I could explain it to you. I, I don't, I'm, this is above my pay grade on how this works. But somehow or another, you can take a piece of meat, and you can take salt, and you can rub it on that meat, and you can salt it good, salt it down is what they used to call it, and then you would hang it up in, in what we called a smokehouse. Anybody know what a smokehouse is? Uh, so we had a, a smokehouse at my grandpa's farm where I spent a lot of time growing up and I would go out there and I would see these, these big hams hanging there and they would be covered in salt and I didn't understand what was going on there but when, when I figured it out is, is that salt stops the decomposition process or at least it slows it down that it stops the decay and the, and the putrefaction of that meat if you will and it keeps that meat from rotting and you think, well, what is the application in this that, that Jesus says that we're the salt of the earth? What, what in the world could he be implying that we're salt? How, how do we do anything like that salt does to meat? Well, I want you to notice this, and, and it says you're the salt, but it says this word. It says earth. You notice that? There's that word earth there. And then the, the, the verse that goes with it is 14. And it says, you're the light of the world. Now, there's a differentiation there, and I believe that when Jesus, we don't have the the true interpretation from when Jesus spoke these words, but you notice that he uses two different words that we use interchangeably, right? He uses the word earth in verse 13, and he uses the word world in 14, and we might use those interchangeably, but when Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth, he's referring to actually people, that that people are created from what? They're created from dirt, right? that God created Adam from dirt and he breathed life into his nostrils and therefore we became a living creature. And so he's referring to the fact that we are to be salt to those around us. Now what does that mean? What, what, does that, what are you implying here? I'm implying this, that the world that we live in, because of the sin curse that is on it, is rotting and it is dying and it is putrefying every single day. Can you say Amen. And that not only is, is the earth dying and the earth is decaying, I mean, you, you think about all the beauty in the world and you think how, how, that this is a fallen world and that things are dying every single day. But then I think about, to take it a step further, be, even beyond our physical bodies, that, that, the, uh, that, that men within themselves understand this, when left to their self, are just rotting creatures on the inside what Jesus is referring to here is actually the moral compass of men and women Jesus is talking about how how moral people are or how moral people should be you know we don't we don't hear a lot about our morals anymore do we you remember when morals used to be a big thing people used to respect you if you had morals do you remember those days And I'm going to tell you this, that I I believe that we should still be good, moral people. Our morals don't get us to heaven, amen? Just because we're good doesn't equal that we're we're getting to heaven. But I believe that if we're saved and and Jesus' blood has been applied to our soul and we're on our way to heaven, that we ought to act like that we're on our way to heaven. Would you say amen to that statement? And here's the thing about it, is, is a lot of times we get mad at lost people. We look down on lost people for acting like lost people. We see somebody, uh, uh, you know, somebody that's, that's maybe a drug user. Or somebody that, that just plug in whatever sin you want to a fornicator or an adulterer, or whatever it may be. And, and a lot of times we, we look down on them and we think, man, their morals are just terrible. I can't believe they would do that. You ever said that to yourself about somebody? I just, can't, I just don't understand how they do that. And then we'll say, how do they do that to themselves? Me and Andrew, we worked in probation, and, and Lauren works in the courthouse, and, and I've asked myself that question a lot, haven't you, Andrew? How can they put themselves through that? But then when I step back and I think about it, oh yeah, they're, if, if they're lost, that's just what they know. That's what's in them. And we can't expect a lost person to be a good moral person because they just don't have it within them. Now, I'll, I'll say this. I've known some lost people that are pretty good folks. Amen? I've known some lost people that act better than some Christians. Amen? That's something that shouldn't be, but, but it's something that I've seen. But he says that we are to be sought to these people. Now, when salt touches something, you know what it does? It changes it automatically. When you put salt on, on green beans, and, and I believe, Lacey, did you turn those green beans off this morning? They're still on? Pray for our house, okay, folks? Somebody gave us some green beans yesterday, and Lacey was breaking them, and, and Shaylee was breaking them. She was teaching Shaylee how to break green beans. Praise the Lord. And she put them in a crock pot. And the first thing she said is, these are going to be bland. And I thought, man, that's not good. I don't want them to be bland. So she got the salt shaker out. And she started pouring it in there. I mean, just pouring it to it. And I said, praise the Lord. Them are going to be good now. But what the thing about it is, is when you get that green bean out of there, you don't, you don't taste it and say, you know what, this, this salt is green beany. You know what you say, man, this green bean is Salty. There has been a change made. Now I say that to say this, that when a Christian is living like they should live, and we go out into the lost world, and, and we go out into our workplaces, into our school systems, into our whatever it is that we do, even our marriages and the way we parent, there should be something different. Something that is changed when a Christian touches it. Now what do you mean by that? Well, let's say two lost people get married. And, and they, they start off, and, and by the way, I, I heard a statistic, and I don't know exactly the number, but I heard almost as many people are getting divorced as they are getting married these days. That's kind of a scary thing, isn't it? But again, if, if lost people get married, what do you expect? Amen? Amen. And so they get married and things are going well for a while and, and, you know, six months down the road they begin to get into it and and they, and they don't know how to resolve their differences because everybody knows that, anybody in here that's ever been married knows that, that eventually the honeymoon's going to be over. Amen? So I, I see some of you looking around like we're still honeymooning. It's going to be over eventually. And eventually, you're going to wake up or she's going to wake up on the wrong side of the bed and y'all are going to be mad at each other for absolutely no reason. Anybody ever been there? You just wake up mad and you don't know why. I mean, obviously, I've never done that, but I've heard stories about it. Right, sweetheart? And I'm a Christian, Okay. Now the thing about it is, is is when lost people wake up and and they get at each other's throats and they begin to argue and they begin to fight, that they don't know what to do. And so they begin to act differently and they begin to get mad at each other and eventually maybe they'll separate and and live apart for a while and then they have what's called irreconcilable differences and then they get a divorce and and they split up and and I don't know about you but but it it hurts children when parents do that amen and and it can be a problem in a family and and I'm not trying to be mean I'm just telling you the truth and so we see that happen a lot of times and we say well you know they're lost people but when two saved people get married, there should be salt. There should be something different. Their marriage should be seasoned, and therefore their marriage should turn out differently. Amen? Amen? When the hand of God and when the hand of a Christian is on something... It should be different. The outcome should be different. There should, you should be able to tell the difference in something that a Christian is involved in. Amen? And so he says that you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. I found this, that eventually if you don't use salt, you know what, it quits, it quits doing much. I was a few months ago after COVID, you know, when, when the, the, the big pandemic that, you know, 18 months long or something that people wouldn't meet and we didn't have a lot of meals here at the church. And so one day uh, my salt shaker was empty in my desk and I went over to the, to the gym and I, I found a salt shaker. We've got a whole slew of salt shakers over there and I grabbed one and I took it back to my office and I poured it on there and took a bite of whatever it was, nothing nothing you know so i did the smart thing and just kept putting it on there and thinking there was going to be a difference no difference why because that salt guess what lost its savor lost its flavor whatever you want to say and it was good for nothing at that point now jesus's point when he says this is that when when the salt has has lost their savor or lost their flavor then what are they good for now, to apply that to us as Christians, if we are not making a difference, if we are not changing what is around us, then what are we doing? Can you answer that question? I'll, answer, I'll ask you this, or, or, or is, is your life or your morals or, or your application of the Word of God, is it making a difference in your life, in your workplace, in, in the school system, whatever it is that you're doing, is, is it the mark of the salt of the Word of God on your life? Or is it not? That's the first thing Jesus says. He says, ye are the salt of the earth. And then verse number 14, we go on to read this. He says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. And then one of, the, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We see that we are not only salt, but he says that we're the light of the world. If, you're, if salt deals with, with moral things, then light deals with spiritual things. See, we as Christians are to shine a light because you know, I talked about, you heard me say the words rotting and putrefaction and all that of, of the, the morals of this world and we all agree with that. But see, the thing about it is the reason that people don't have morals and don't, don't act right is because they're not spiritual people. They, they've not been saved by grace and that would, that would explain it. Amen? And so who's going to tell the world about Jesus if we don't do it? He says, you're the light of the world. He's he's talking about those that are lost, and he says, you are the light. We can't expect anybody else to go and tell the world about Jesus. We can't expect them to turn on a TV and hope that they'll turn over to the, uh, uh, I don't even know, does anybody watch TV preachers? I don't know who's on these days, but turn over to the Jimmy Swaggart Network. I don't know, whatever. And, and, or turn on the radio and hear a preacher on that and say, you know what, they, they've got a, a, a big platform, they've got a way to broadcast to a lot of people, so hopefully somebody will listen to them and they will get saved. I doubt it. There might be a few, but you, do you know the most effective way to win somebody to Jesus? There's been some research done, and, and I know it's hard to research things like people getting saved, but one of the most effective ways to see people saved is to go out into the world and to form a relationship with somebody, to simply become their friend. I'll tell you what, it's hard to win somebody to the Lord if you count them as your enemy, Amen? The Bible says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. That Jesus went to supper with these people. And the religious people of the time, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they all stood back and they, they were just floored by the fact that Jesus would go have supper and go uh, sit down and talk to these people because, because surely to goodness they were too good for that. But Jesus said that we are the light of the world. And the thing about it is, is that if you are living the way you should, if you're living the life of a Christian and, and, and you're seasoned with salt, that you should not be able to hide that fact. That it should be obvious that there's something different about you. That it should be obvious that you are a Christian. And it says that that a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. What that means is this, that... that when I went to Israel in 2019, in October of 2019, I really understood what that meant. I was, I was in the middle of a valley. And I know this sounds like a good, good, good story, right? I was down in the valley because that's how a lot of sermon illustrations start. And I was looking around and everywhere as far as the eye could see, I could see cities. And I'm talking they were 10, 20, 30 miles away. But every city that I saw was built on a hillside. And you couldn't have hid those cities if you wanted to. The same thing applies here that when we shine our light into the world, that it's something that cannot be hid. If you're going to hide your light, you have to do it on purpose. Jesus says in verse 15, Neither do men light a candle. You could say this, neither do people get saved. And then try to hide it. Put it under a bushel. A bushel, he was talking about is a basket. He says, but rather we put it on a candlestick so that it can give light unto all that are in the house. Now he makes two applications here. And the first one is he, he makes a, the, the, the reference to a city. And back in this time when Jesus was talking about these cities, they, they went by candlelight, right? Everything, if you were going to see, you either had to have a candle or a torch or a, a, a lamp or something of that nature. But as these people would light their lights and they would set them in a window is generally where they set them. And these lights would shine bright. And, and you know what would happen is that travelers that were wandering through that didn't know where they were going could look ahead. And they would see a city. And they would see the light shining. And they would say, hey, there's safety over there. There's a place I can take refuge over there. You see the application there? That people are wandering through the world. They don't know where they're going. And if we as Cookville Free Will Baptist Church will collectively shine our lights, guess what? People will see it and say, hey, there's safety over there. Hey, there's a place that we can go and there's refuge in, and, and we can go and we can maybe get our candle lit from their candle. And then he goes on to say this, but then it giveth light. This is the one candle, the individual candle that's giving light unto all that are in the house. That you were to shine a light to those around you, to those directly in close relation to you. That could be your family. I don't know about you, but some of the hardest people I've ever tried to talk to about the Lord are my family members. I've been trying to win Lacey for years and still can't seem to do it. Now again, I'm just kidding. I love you, sweetheart. I didn't get a chance to talk to her, so I'm going to talk to her right now. But I try to tell people about the Lord, and and it just seems really hard. But you can't avoid those people. You can't avoid your lost children. You can't avoid your lost grandchildren. Or if you're young and maybe your parents are unsaved. And as a, as a young person, that would be hard to talk to, to your parents about the Lord, wouldn't it? But you've got to shine a light in the house. Because you may be the only person that someone will listen to. And then in verse number 16, finally, Jesus says this. Let your light so shine before men, before all mankind that they may see your good works, and it would bring glory to your Father which is in heaven. See, the, the reason that we have salt in ourselves, and the reason that we shine our light, it's not so that I can bring attention to me. It's not so that I can stand here and say, look how good I'm living. It's so that I can point back to the cross, and say, look what God did in my life. You know, I I think about the the testimonies of people, and and this is what this is. Your light shining in the world is simply your testimony. And you know what the beautiful thing about people's testimonies are? Is none of them are the same. That we all have such a different testimony. You know, a lot of people's testimony is this, that that they grew up in church and that they were you know they were raised right and they were raised to be moral people but yet they still found the need to be saved Jesus still had to come into their heart and take up residence and they still had to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and then some people have the testimony that they lived an awful life and that they did things that were not pleasing to God and and one day that God got a hold of them and and you know, shook them or or, or tragedy struck or whatever it was and God convicted them and let them know that they needed to be saved and they came and they got gloriously saved. We all know a few people like that, don't we? I know some of each. But you know, some people that that were raised in church, they, they can't go out and witness to the people that are living terrible moral lives because they just won't give them an audience. But if you want to win somebody that's an alcoholic or a drug addict or or whatever, you can send somebody that's been saved out of that stuff and generally they'll give them an audience. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. If we want to see people saved at this church, you know what we have to do? We just have to glorify God. If we'll point to the cross and and we'll quit, you know, say it, look trying to say, look how good I am and look how good the church is doing, and say, hey, that, that I'm, I was saved by the precious blood of Jesus just like everybody else, and you need to be saved too. If we'll just do that, that will be our light shining in the world it doesn't have to be a big fancy speech that you give you don't have to stand in a pulpit and and deliver a sermon or teach a sunday school class or do whatever you just go out and you just live right and you just tell people about jesus when the opportunity arises and guess what if you will do that god will give fruit to that if you'll just be willing to shine your light and be salt and I won't read the rest of this section of Scripture, but I, but I want you to understand this. That God expects us to be, be a different kind of people. You remember just a couple of weeks ago, maybe three or four weeks ago, I preached that, that there is a difference in us and the world. And that still stands true. And I believe this only reinforces that. That we're to be different and we're to tell people about Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity again to be in your house this morning. And God, I just pray that you would open people's eyes to help us examine ourselves. And Lord, I pray that, that each and every one in this room this morning would, would look down deep into their heart and ask themselves this, this simple question. And it may seem like a, a strange question, but just ask themselves, Am I salty enough? Have have I still got my savor that the Lord gave me when he saved me? Or have I perhaps lost some of that savor? Am I flavoring the world around me like I should? Am I stopping the decay? Am I doing what I can? And then they ask themselves this next question. Am I shining my light like I should? And I would say that, that some are. And Lord, I thank you for those people that are making a difference wherever they're at. Whether it's big or whether it's small, God, I just pray that you will bless them for that. We know that that you will bless them. But God, this message is for people that may need to shine their light brighter and go out and tell people about you. And Lord, if anybody's lost and... Maybe the, the, the morals, they know that their, their moral compass is, is misconstrued and they know that, that their light, they don't even have a light to shine because they're not saved. God, I pray that you would deal with them, that you would convict them and let them know that they need to come to you and that you're the only source of light in this world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.